you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Welcome to a special episode of Legendary Africa, a podcast where a disembodied voice speaks, yells, and swears about African myths straight into your ear canal. Today is a special episode because in this episode you will hear not only one disembodied voice, but two disembodied voices. I am joined today by an amazing podcaster, a folklore enthusiast, and just an all-around brilliant person, the host of the Fairy Folk podcast. Welcome to Legendary Africa! Hello, <laughs> thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, that was a lovely intro, I really appreciate it. <laughs> I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time, so yeah, I'm really excited to chat to you today. Thank you so much, no, I'm really happy to have you on. Um, before we uh, get into our sort of collaborative part of the episode, I was wondering if we could just chat a little bit about the Fairy Folk podcast, tell the listeners what's it all about, and why did you start podcasting in the first place? Yeah, of course. Um, so the Fairy Folk is really designed to be a kind of virtual tour across the UK, but with a little bit of a twist in that all the locations featured on the podcast are connected to local folk tales and myths and legends. So some of them are well known and others not so much. Uh, and each of my little episodes kind of decides to speak to uh, <laughs> people about the different stories from English counties or UK countries. And I'll normally talk a little bit about those locations and their history and then retell two folktales from the area. As it's also designed to kind of incorporate travel into folklore as well, I sometimes give some travel tips for people who are planning on visiting the area. So yeah, I guess the fairy folk is really sort of a mixture of folklore, storytelling and travel. Um, I also love working with audio and sound design, so I try and create like an immersive experience for my listeners when I'm retelling the stories. And that's actually not something that I get to talk to um, people about a lot because it's sort of maybe something that you don't think about a lot when you're listening to podcasts is like the sound design is designed to be a natural part of the episode. But um, it's something that I work really hard on and I try and make my listeners feel like they're going on a journey. And so it's always quite fun figuring out how I'm going to do a sound effect for like a dragon or a bogus or whatever's in that that week's episode. So yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love that about your episodes. I actually, um, I think you kind of inspired me a bit because I after I listened to a few of your episodes, I loved Aww. the sort of bustful feeling you got and yeah, the use of music and the sound effects. I <laughs> felt like I was there and you were my guide. So I started incorporating sound effects and music into my episodes. Um, maybe not as much as, as you did, but it, it's really quite amazing. I'm a bit curious, have you bought a lot of yourself around the UK? Yeah, so um, thank you so much for that first. That's really sweet. Um, yeah, so I try and um, visit a lot, as many of the places that I, I can as possible. Obviously, right now, a lot of us in the UK are under quite strict uh, lockdown restrictions. So that sort of put a halt to a lot of my travel plans. So the, the Fairy Folk was always designed as a kind of virtual tour anyway. So it's connecting people who might not be able to, to visit these locations with 
stories and immersive sound design to make them think as though that they're there and equally people who have been there um, to give them a little bit of nostalgia about the places that hopefully they plan on visiting again so yeah I always love talking about places that I've been to and I'll try and mention um, things that I've really liked and sites that I've seen and try and recreate the sounds and uh, of, of being there but also for me as well I'm discovering new places and places that I want to visit and like can't wait to visit every every month I do a, a, a podcast episode and I'm like I can't wait to go here I really want to go here I get obsessed with like wherever I'm talking about so yeah I've got a long long list to catch up on once uh, once our restrictions are lifted for sure I think you're really keeping people going during lockdown because like as far as they can go is the local shop <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> What is your interest in folklore? Did you study it or why, why did you get interested in the first place? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a great question, actually. Um, it's always sort of been a bit of, of a hobby of mine, but perhaps not something that I like shared with my friends or family. It was just something of I, I ended up having a collection of all these uh, books about fairies and, and mythical creatures and, and folklore. As most people, I went through a, a Greek mythology phase. I think we've all been there. <laughs> Um, so uh, I really loved again local folklore so I loved traveling to places and people going oh did you know this is where like a mermaid was supposed to to have come or fairies were sighted here and I was like wow you know that's amazing and it, it really connected the stories with the surroundings um, and so funnily enough actually the fairy folk kind of started out as like a holiday plan and I was like oh I'd love to you know get in a little camper van and, and travel across the UK and stop off at all these places and see the, the sites that I've read about and where folk tales are supposed to take place but that kind of trip can be expensive and take a lot of time so I thought okay perhaps there's something I can do creatively with this and so that's kind of where the fairy folk was born out of of talking about locations and the folklore that that comes from them but uh, hopefully one day I'll be able to do that trip I think it'd be fab <laughs> that would be amazing I think you should actually you should figure out a way to eventually financially be able to do that <laughs> Take pictures and turn your podcast into a book. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Very yeah, folk on like, the road. Yeah, <laughs> heard it here like, first. <laughs> you can have a whole map with like pins as to you know where all the myths. Okay, I'm going way into this, and I need to. Just <laughs> That's the dream. That's the dream. <laughs> like I'm, I'm planning your book for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's funny that you talk about going through a Greek myth phase because um, I'm actually a PhD classic student. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> so I'm stuck in the Greek phase. <laughs> Mm -hmm. it's a good phase to have <laughs> all right well brilliant thanks so much for, for telling me about all of that so we decided to talk about water-related lore legends and myths of folk uh, folk tales for this episode which i'm really excited about because yes. you know i didn't realize that choosing a water theme actually gave you so many possibilities like it's crazy how much law involves water i'm not sure if you also found definitely. that definitely <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think as well, the, the UK being an island, there's a there's a lot of water around us, so <laughs> plenty of stories. <laughs> so, um, as my guest, you can course go first with your water-related lore. Awesome, thank you so much. So, yeah, as you mentioned before, the UK certainly has its fair share of water-based folklore and creatures. Some like to frequent our shores and beaches, but others prefer more lakes and locks and rivers. And these creatures can be as kind or as unpredictable as the waters that they live in. So I thought to start us off then, we'd talk about mermaids, probably the most famous aquatic folklore creatures. And these are usually depicted as beautiful women who are human from the waist up, but with scaly fishtails down below. <laughs> so mermaids pop up in folklore from all over the world uh, and fairy tales and pop culture works too that I'm sure yourself and your, your listeners are quite familiar with. 
Um, but in the UK, they're mostly spotted, as you would imagine, along UK coastlines. So counties like Cornwall in particular have lots of mermaid tails, pun kind of intended, <laughs> and they don't just stick to the seas. Uh, as And mermaids can be spotted in rivers and, and lakes and they also have their own stories that are connected to these areas that are away from the sea as well, which is quite interesting. Um, but I think one of the most famous UK mermaid folktales is probably the story of the mermaid of Zeno, which is one I go on about a lot, usually on social media, because <laughs> it's my favourite folktale and I love Cornwall. So, yeah, <laughs> I have never heard of it. So this is new for me. Oh, perfect. <laughs> well, I'll tell you all about it because I, I never get bored of telling this tale because I think it's really sweet. Um and it's all about a uh, a mermaid who visits a church in Zeno in Cornwall after hearing uh, the beautiful singing that's coming from inside the church. So she starts to visit the church regularly and join in with the choir. And she soon falls for a handsome young man who's the best singer in, in all the village called Matthew Torella. And soon uh, the two then disappear, which might seem like a tragic mystery to the uninitiated, but the locals always knew the truth that the mermaid had actually taken Matthew home to live with her under the sea over at Pendle Cove. So yeah, that's the story of the Mermaid of Zena, which again, I really enjoy because it's actually got a happy ending, which is kind of rare sometimes for folk tales. So I think it's quite sweet. <laughs> I, just, I, I, have, I have questions, if you don't mind, for this tale. Mm -hmm. Of course, <laughs> I'll try. First, I, I love horror movies anything that's scary so when you said they disappeared literally my mm -hmm. first thing was okay so she's killed him she's, <laughs> she's, she's taken somewhere and killed him because that's obviously my first mm -hmm. thought and um secondly <laughs> did she give him some sort of a uh, water helmet well yeah this is it <laughs> I think that's so funny how you say that because it's the kind of classic two kinds of people because I was like oh she's like got a little mermaid boyfriend and they're so happy <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry I'm a realist that's terrible <laughs> No, it's fair. I think, yeah, a lot of folktales do um, unfortunately end up dragging, especially with mermaids as well, like dragging sailors underneath uh, the waves. But this tale in particular is, uh, I suppose they believe that Matthew was kind of taken away to live under the sea with the mermaid that fell for him. Um, and actually the, the story has a second part where a sailor comes across the mermaid and goes, you've got, you've put a, an anchor in front of my home. I can't, I can't reach my, my children and my husband. And the sailor gets sort of a look of, at the mermaid and recognizes her as the, the woman that used to sing in the church. And so kind of puts two and two together. That's so sweet, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I could talk a little bit about the, the kind of explanations behind the story. Something I like to do on my podcast as well is explore where these folktales might have come from. Um, I always like to put the question out there that, yeah, uh, yeah, of course, it was a uh, a real mermaid, potentially, or it could also have been uh, an influence. So in uh, Zeno, the church uh, that the mermaid visited is called St. Sonara's, and that is supposed to be the church that the mermaid visited in the story. So that church, actually, that you can visit, has a, a carving of the mermaid uh, on one of its wooden pews. So people have come to speculate whether the mermaid from the folktale is the one that's depicted on the chair or whether the chair actually inspired the legend itself. So there's a little bit of kind of mystery around it, which is nice. Um, and the mermaid in the carving as well is also holding a mirror and a comb, which is something that I've done a little bit of research into recently and found that that kind of symbolism of like a mirror and a comb during the Middle Ages, that was a, were the signs of pride and vanity. So I think when a mermaid was depicted holding those items it was sort of warning churchgoers not to indulge in the sins of vanity and uh, so that's I think that might be why the carving was created potentially but of course you know it could have been because a mermaid once visited that church so yeah 
at the court, was there any sort of evidence that there was like a woman with a particularly beautiful voice that sung there or anything like that? Not that I've found, unfortunately, but there are sort of talk about as well the the Matthew Trello of the story because it's quite interesting that he's named um, because a lot of these folk tales are like a young man from from Cornwall. So it's interesting that he has he has that name. So perhaps he's come from a local man that did once exist in Cornwall. Um, and also there's talk about because Zenor, again, is, is on like a cliff uh, facing the sea. There is potential for, you know, in a big storm, people to go missing and disappear <laughs> in the storm. So I think perhaps that could be perhaps where this tale has come from as well. But again, these are just my own speculations. So who knows? Another another realist question that came to mind is how, how did she swim up to the church? You know what? That's a great I'm question. So <laughs> I should just stop <laughs> No. <laughs> it's actually quite funny because a, a recent podcast episode I did was about a mermaid Um over in Norfolk and she managed to I think she went about a mile and a half or something like that from the beach to this church and there's no recording of how she how she did it it's all saying like did she did she like I don't know I sort of in my story I I pictured as if she was sort of dragging her tail all the way (laughs) to the church but apparently she might have got some help somewhere but yeah or maybe her friends just sort of transform into legs conveniently yeah, I think, yeah, I'm going to say that uh, the mermaid in this story, she magically transformed her tail into legs and that's how she <laughs> she got there. So you know what's, what's really strange but also funny is that I also decided to talk about mermaids. Hey, perfect. Well, I think it sort of goes with the water folklore theme. Like, I'd be surprised if there weren't mermaids there. So yeah, I wanted to talk about mermaids of Africa and... Um, I discovered that the myth or the law of mum people has actually existed in Africa for centuries um, and has actually been found mm-hmm. in several areas of the continent. So first we have like the indigenous people from West Africa, the Epic, Igbo, Anang, etc. They believed and some still believe in the water deity Mami Wata. And maybe you've heard of Mami Wata? I haven't, I'm afraid. I'd love to know more though. Um, she's actually a water goddess of fertility and prosperity, but she's depicted as this woman who is generally naked on the top, and then she has one or two fishtails, so that's why we're calling her mermaid. So she can also apparently be sometimes male, but usually female, and she is a huge figure. So if I really wanted to talk about her, that would be a whole episode by myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's actually so much about her. There's also mermaids apparently in Mali, uh, the Dogon people, an ethnic group indigenous to the uh, central plateau of Mali. They worship the creator god Amma, who actually made these half-fish, half-human creatures called Nomos, who are apparently ancestral spirits, so they were also depicted as mermaids. But the story that I'm actually really interested in is a story that originates from the Peru in South Africa. There's a town called Derust, which I don't know if you know where the crane and the Hrut Kuru is, but it really does not matter too much. Okay. There's a mountain pass and rock falls. And apparently some people have spotted, and I'm talking about like modern spottings, of a dark-haired mermaid, of a, a very beautiful woman, and she's a mermaid. What's interesting, because from your story, you were talking about how the mermaids are often depicted combing their hair and with a mirror. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. They said that she looks like she's sitting on rocks 
and she's combing her long dark hair and looking into the rock pool. So the rock pool is kind of like the mirror while she combs her hair. Ah, I see. <laughs> yeah, so I find it kind of interesting that there's that connection. I'm not sure whether the mermaid stories from the UK have influenced us or <laughs> whether it's just a coincidence. Yeah, definitely. It's quite nice to find crossovers, I think, between folk tales. And they're interesting on, on are they based on the same thing of people uh, interpreting things in their own way or is it because people have traveled and brought the stories with them or is it indeed mm. the mermaids have gotten around and <laughs> everyone spotted yeah. them at some point yeah exactly <laughs> this one is a is supposed to be um, sort of malevolent so she actually waits for people to mm -hmm. pass by and then she lures them to the edge and drags them to the depth but um lovely <laughs> <laughs> yeah love it um it's interesting <laughs> there's been some rock paintings by the ancient Khoisan people of southern africa and supposedly these paintings depict mermaids and the Khoisan people were apparently trying to say that these mermaids are responsible for the floods and the rain and the drought and that you have to be careful with them and to respect them otherwise your, your crops are going to be in trouble kind of like a worshipping idea behind that which I thought was quite interesting oh yeah definitely there were a few theories um going off what you were talking about in terms of where did these mermaids come from a really interesting one which I want to call the reverse Atlantis theory which uh, 250 million years ago this same area that I'm talking about where the mermaid was spotted was actually submerged underwater um, but it's now like a semi-desert area but back then it was a complete water wonderland so the theory is that the oceans withdrew and it left the rocky valley behind but some people believe that these mermaids that are living there have basically just adapted to living in the desert area so they're just fish people from 250 billion years ago oh wow that's awesome I like the idea of like mermaid evolution I guess <laughs> of them adapting to uh to living on land some other people think that it's more created or, or changed a little bit to reflect you know about our the importance of water and the fact that we're not appreciating it enough and that's why we have global warming and all these other sort of issues so um that ties in quite well i think with the figure of mummy water because she's the goddess of fertility so it's sort of like cyclical trying to bring it mm -hmm. back how important water is but um there's just one more thing that i wanted to tell you about uh, one particular sighting by this woman antoinette she actually claims that she knows someone who encountered a mermaid it was this um girl who apparently spotted a mermaid and you know you're not supposed to stare at a mermaid but this girl I don't know whether she was entranced or she was so enchanted that she looked straight at the mermaid and the mermaid splashed her face with water and apparently if you look at this woman now her face shines like a rainbow pearls. Wow. <laughs> Strong evidence for something very interesting that happened. Yeah that's a really interesting story actually I haven't heard the kind of folklore of mermaids not being able to to be looked at I guess but it reminds me kind of a bit of uh nymphs in Greek mythology I suppose mm. um and also I guess maybe the the kind of spying on uh <laughs> creatures and folklore creatures like fairies they don't like to be spied on by humans so maybe it's a little bit of that of mind your own business which I think is probably the the story of a lot of, of fairy tales and humans wandering into to places they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, like, the, like with Artemis. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, there definitely seems to be some sort of reverence um, for the mermaids here. 
uh, there was another story where this farmer apparently saw a mermaid and was so shocked that he shot at her. And then three days later, they've never seen floods of this magnitude and literally just hit and destroyed the whole, whole area. Everyone put it down to the fact that he had tried to attack this mermaid. Yeah, there's definitely a, a similar tale actually from Cornwall as well, which tells of a mermaid down in Padstow who uh, was a, a shot by a, a man who was hoping to make her his wife, but she was not having it. And uh, <laughs> as revenge, she uh, caused this thing called a doom bar, which you can find in, in Padstow, which is like a, a big area of sand, basically, which has affected ships. So it sometimes like ships would would crash into it because you can't see it, like the, the sand under the waves. So the mermaid is supposed to be responsible for the creation of that because of what the man did. So yeah, there's definitely a link there between mermaids and their revenge, I think. Yeah, I suppose because they're special creatures and there's something rather barbaric about humans. So <laughs> maybe so. But it's actually it's it's so weird that we both did mermaids because um I mean we didn't plan that that was sort of thing. And um, there's <laughs> no. quite a few similarities between them. Yeah, definitely. I don't know whether you can tell me how how old the law of mermaids. Yeah, I mean, so the the mermaid carving that I mentioned before, I think that's meant to have been dated to around the 15th century. So I think I'd imagine that's when those tales started to come become more prevalent. But when they originated I'm afraid I can't say but yeah they feel like they've been an integral part of folklore for a long time here and then I mean if the Khoisan were painting them then that is years and years ago so it'd be interesting to mm. somehow find out whether there was some sort of interaction I mean I thought there must be because I mean obviously there was interaction so why wouldn't tales folk tales also get swapped yeah I think that'd be a really interesting study to do to kind of compare these stories and try and find where the similarities are and, and how the cultures have influenced one another. So um, now I must ask you, have you ever had any sort of mythical or strange encounter that you might have thought was a bit magical? Did you ever experience anything like that? Oh, that is another great question. I think oh, it's it's very hard to say because I think there are times when you brush things off and think oh you know that was just my imagination or just a coincidence or something like that but I I have to say I've had a few maybe ghostly encounters um, uh, in in London usually which is actually quite a haunted uh, city which I've talked about before on my podcast but I'd probably end up visiting again because there are so many ghosts <laughs> um, where I was like when I was quite young I was on a, a train with my family and I looked out the window and I saw a woman staring right into the carriage, like right up close to the carriage staring in. And I was like, oh, and I sort of turned to my family as if to be like, can you see this woman like staring in? And of course, when I turned back, she was gone. So yeah, none of them saw her either. So that was one of those moments where I was like, I think I may have just seen a ghost, but it could have just been a very nosy passenger. I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's my one strange uh, encounter. Um, but maybe there'll be a few more to come. I don't know. That's that's terrifying. I mean, I love ghost stories and I don't know whether like I wholeheartedly believe them. And I don't know whether I have actually had a proper experience. I mean, there was one time when I woke up in the middle of the night because my at least I thought that my cupboards were shaking and banging. Ooh. <laughs> and there should have been no reason for that to have happened. But then sort of when I woke yeah. up, Broccoli. There was nothing there, so I was like, "Was it just dream?" Oh, was there both of us mm. in my room? <laughs> oh yeah, that's pretty spooky. Yeah, it's hard to tell, but that's what I quite like about ghost stories: is that question of 
you sort of don't know. Um, and as I mentioned before with like London and I guess with my podcast as well, I love ghost stories that are connected to history and connected to the locations that they are. So I love like haunted theatres um, are brilliant because you get stories of like the actors that were once on the stage that still, you know, watch performers to this day. And I love I love stories like that because I think they make you feel like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, some that that actor did act there, or that you know, a uh, queen did frequent that castle. So why would she not be spotted there? So I quite like those ghost stories that have like connections to history in that way. Yeah, th- those are very those are very interesting. I think I did a, um, I looked at a apparently haunted hospital in South Africa where. Yes, yes, I remember that episode. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> it was abandoned, and I love I love a good abandoned hospital. Sure, <laughs> that sounds creepy, mm. but I mean, um, yeah, you know, doors creaking and the windows are broken, so the wind sort of whistled through the building. And I'm like, I want to go there, but also I probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably me with most places. <laughs> <laughs> it's like fear and excitement. I wanted to also <laughs> ask if you could pick a folklore or myth mm-hmm. to sort of be in. Oh yeah, I guess probably one of my favourite folklore creatures or legendary creatures is probably the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> um, it's a very famous, famous uh, creature, of course, but uh, I love the story and it was one of the things that got me into folklore when I was younger as well. So I loved hearing stories from from Scotland about this creature and it's like, yeah, it's it's fantastic. And I love the history of all the people that went and tried to to find the monster and to prove that it existed in very sort of classic British 30s style of uh, on the, you know, on the news reporting about, yes, I've sighted the creature and I love it. It's so dramatic and it's very human as well, ironically, because the story ends up being about the, the kind of uh, people that created hoaxes and people that tried to prove it and scientists and and everything like that so I think that's really interesting about like the human psyche on how people felt like they saw things or maybe they were only seeing things because other people claimed to have seen things or how things can get misinterpreted so I love all of that and there's a man named Steve Feltham that literally he lives on the side of Loch Ness just watching and waiting for a sighting of the creature and he's been there for I think about 30 years and that's my dream life like (laughs) that's all I want from life just to park up next to his his house his caravan and be like hey you know I'm here with my cup of tea just waiting for a sighting like that's a dream. (laughs) So it's uh, amazing how the these kind of some some of these stories can really just carry on being so so popular and it just sticks with you I mean the Loch Ness Monster I think um Bigfoot is another one that people can't shake. For some mm. reason, they're obsessed with trying to trying to find it. Um, yeah, it's really amazing how um, that can actually sort of make you learn about yourself in a way. I think that's what, as you're saying, that's what like what the Loch Ness monster was showing us because we really put our all into trying to find something that we don't even know is actually there. Yeah, I think I like that about about folklore in general because something like the Loch Ness Monster, it's, it's an ongoing mystery. You know, there's people that still believe in it to this day and there's always new sightings. Actually, there was a sighting like I think four weeks ago on like a webcam over the lock. Like I'm always like Googling like to try and see like, oh, has anyone spotted Nessie recently? Like, is she okay in lockdown? Like <laughs> just checking in on my girl. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, I, I love that it's sort of like a living, thriving legend because a lot of the things that I read about are from, you know, years and years ago and centuries ago. So it's great to have something that's that's ongoing and still feels like a mystery. I love that. Well, it's, it's been so amazing to have you as a collab guest on the show. I had a great time. And I apologize for the impromptu questions. I just got really into the stories you were talking about. That's okay. Thank you so much. I love I love talking about this sort of thing and getting a chance to to share some of my favorite stories. And I'm always happy to talk about mermaids for as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I've, I've had a great time. I hope we can actually collab again in the future about, well, anything really, because I feel like we both have such a, a reserve to draw from the fire element or something. Yeah, let's go through the elements. That'd be great. So thank you so much again for, for coming on the show. I'd like you just to to let your, our listeners, you know, where we, they can find your podcast, how to follow you and that sort of stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So you can find uh, the fairy folk on the usual kind of podcast apps. Um, but also if you're looking for some social media stuff, I'm also on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook uh, under at the fairy underscore folk. Uh, and I always remind my listeners that it's fairy spelt F-A-E-R-I-E rather than like <laughs> I-R-Y because it's, you know, a little change like that can be a bit pedantic on the internet. But anyway, <laughs> so that's how you can find me there. And I try and sort of share photos of some of the places that I've traveled to. Um, and also try and share listeners' photos if they've been to some of the places that I've mentioned. So if you've heard about a place that you're interested in, you can have a little look and, and maybe there'll be a photo of it there so you can see what it's like. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, but it's a little bit neglected at the moment, but I'm hoping to create some new content for it soon, hopefully when I can get out and about traveling again. So yeah, you can you can keep a lookout for there as well. I actually wanted to ask you, uh why you chose to spell fairy that way considering this I mean there's there's quite a few options is there a particular reason you chose f-a-e-r-i-e yeah actually so I've read um quite a few uh stories and and legends about fairies and fairy tales and fairy folk which is a whole episode I can talk about but uh I've seen the word fairy spelt like that because it sometimes encompasses fairy as like a the other world so fairies standing for like the world of the fairies rather than just like the creatures themselves so because on my podcast I like to talk about lots of different folk tales myths legends ghosts all of it I felt like fairy was quite a good encompassing name to just mean like the folk of the other world <laughs> so yeah that's kind of the backstory to my little, little name <laughs> oh that's no that's that's brilliant and I'm so glad you explained it because because I, I didn't I didn't actually realize what the difference ex, uh, means so when I saw the fairy folk I mean it was okay so you're talking about fairies but now I completely understand what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe it's a little bit too subtle but uh yeah <laughs> no no we must just educate ourselves <laughs> oh no <laughs> But um, thank you so much again. And please do come back to the show sometime. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. It's been great. And now it is time to love and leave you, my wonderful listeners. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at LegendaryPod1 and at LegendaryPod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check out our website. And check out the wonderful Straight Up Strange Network by following the link in the show notes. Please go follow my guest, The Furry Folk, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out her podcast wherever it's available, and also her YouTube channel. You can contact me either by sliding into my DMs, or by emailing me at stayleginjurypod at gmail.com. 
If you want to collab, be a guest, swap promos, or simply to have a chat and a cup of something delicious virtually together. Until next month, mask up, sanitize before you fraternize, and of course, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye!